What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Moran, Joe Johnson, Jaw Rafts, of course. We've got Jays we got for Days. Josh, how are you doing? So we're really doing this again, huh? North Carolina is bringing their squad back, and all of a sudden, North Carolina is the 2023 national champion. Okay, so let's let's make a quick list of this. Who who have we done this with before? I mean UCLA. I mean we've done this with UCLA, and, and, and not necessarily national champions, but with like preseason number one. Yeah, they shouldn't be preseason number one. They shouldn't. I can, I concur, particularly after we have Dayton. Now, of course, there are some differences between the two situations, but by and large, they're pretty similar to each other and the idea that after we just saw it happen with UCLA we're now jumping to the North Carolina is the team to beat see I don't you know how I feel about this I feel the same way I do about now I think this to me there's more justification for putting this North Carolina team top five than there was UCLA how primarily North Carolina didn't have a quad one win until March yeah yeah. Oh, I, yes. But primarily because I don't look at some of these other there to me, there's not as clear a, and especially with some of the things that we're going to get into today, there's not other teams that I go, how are you putting them ahead of, how are you putting UCLA or in this case, North Carolina ahead of that team? Right. I'm not, I don't view Gonzaga as the juggernaut that I did this year. And you had Colin Gillespie, Villanova team, and you had Kansas. You know, there are more question marks at the top. That would be my short answer. Okay. But we do need I, to see how this all plays out. I'm not, I'm not 100% convinced I'll have the top five, but I believe there's an argument for that. I think there are some other things that are I, – I still, like – I think Johnny Juzang was an all-American caliber player all year, the year before you <laughs> the year before last. And then he just was the best player in the tournament. Like, it's not like he was bad. Like he was like for four months, one of the best players in the country. And quite frankly, I'll like RJ Davis and Caleb Love were efficient basketball players for four weeks. Right. Oh, the All-American would be – the, the comparison would be Armando Bacon. Obviously, sure. a completely different player. But from the but. All-American, they have that dude. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are questions at the guard position about whether that translates to a full season. Without that, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it was predictable. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and it's fun is, to see – and with the being said, it's fun to see them all come back. Yeah, and it – there's plenty of talent. It's just funny to me that we've gone from Hubert, you know, does Hubert Davis need to be fired to Hubert Davis made a national championship game. He's got another national championship in the bag. And, you know, what, four, four months, five, five, six. Well, well that's, well, that's what we do is that we overreact right. to the right. extremes I'm over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So I we'll, don't, see. I, we'll see how everything plays out. I don't understand why we don't do this with like, mid-major teams too because like 
UNC had worse a worse resume than most of than a lot of mid major teams. Certainly, mid major teams that made the tournament like on February fifteenth. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you put sure. them side by side. There are major teams that had a better resume going into the NCAA tournament. Right. So, like, why when Loyola Chicago goes all the way to the Final Four and then brings everybody back, are we not having this game? Same conversation. Just because it's North Carolina? Or because we're convinced ourselves that now Armando Baycott's going to be the best player in the country all year? When there, are, right. when there are two big men that have come back in the last four days that are better than Armando Baycott, two of them. I think it's the first one. It's North Carolina, so of course that you don't have to, you don't have to convince yourself they're talented enough to do it again. They obviously are, right? I mean, just from a from a raw rankings scouting perspective, mm-hmm. that didn't. It only goes so far in terms of actually putting wins on your schedule, but right, you don't look at that team and go, "I don't know if they have enough talent to do it." Obviously, they do. And they proved that when they're playing at their best, they can play with anybody in the country last year. Might be it. I think that's they, there's just part of it is you'll never they're just it's a different conversation. Nobody's going to view Loyola as a legitimate top five, top ten team in the country from a talent perspective. Sure. And I think people are also in love with the talent part of it that I have my reservations about because we see talented teams fail to do what they're supposed to all the time and teams with less talent overachieve all the time. The, the other thing I'll say is that I think people are over, like this is not the same basketball team for the majority of their, the, the best player for the majority of the year yep. is not back. Next the guy, yes. And that was the other thing I was going to, that's my, that's my fear. And this was an aggressively, right. This was this exact same team, Sans Brady Manic, was an aggressively okay college basketball team the year before. And Brady Manic was the focal point for how they wanted to play. And for most of the NCAA tournament, like the, oh, wow, look at Brady Manic. It wasn't, it wasn't. Baycott and it wasn't RJ Davis. The conversation was, man, Brady Manic had like 24 and then got ejected. And that's why they almost lost. Mm-hmm. It wasn't thank the Lord that Armando Baycott and RJ Davis were in there to like keep Save the ship the straight yeah. because like they yeah. almost blew it without yeah. Brady Manic. Yeah. I, I, that is my biggest question. And we'll see how things end up and what rosters end up actually looking like. That team is built to play with a stretch four. That is how Hubert Davis wants to play. That's why he went and got Brady Man. As far as I'm concerned, that player's not on the roster right now. That makes Baycott's life tougher. That makes the guard's life tougher. And there are about That's, three stretch fours on the, in the country, like true stretch fours that play like Brady Manic does. Yeah, there just aren't very right. many of them anyways. And particularly ones that can do what he did, that are that dangerous, right? That can go get you 25 on any night and be your go-to offensive option. Yeah. There are... There are certainly questions, and I would argue more questions than even that UCLA team had coming back last year. But here we go again. Here we go again. Well, at least they won't have to face a Jay Wright led Villanova team. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming, I mean, I suppose there, <laughs> I suppose that is a plus for 
a, a Hubert Davis North Carolina return to the national championship game is that they don't is that they don't have to play a Villanova led Jay Wright team. Josh, scale of one to ten, it's been what four or five days since he announced his his retiring from from college basketball, retiring from Villanova after twenty one seasons. Scale of one to ten, what's your what's your shock level? In this game, obviously, ten is the most shocked, and one is the least shocked. I'll go as far as. 6.5. Okay. I don't think I can go as okay. far as 7, but I think 6 is selling a little bit. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to rephrase it slightly. Your immediate gut, was your immediate gut reaction more shocked than the yes. after you spent about 60 seconds thinking about it? Yes. That mm. is a great way to put it. Mm. It was, what in the world? And yeah. then, well, I kind of see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's exactly um, how it went. What were the first reasons that came to your mind when you started thinking about this? As to it, why, as to why all things considered, you're not all that shocked. For me, the biggest thing was, and we we talked a little about this in a group chat with some friends, just the if this was going to happen anytime in the next, let's say five years, or at least three years. Right, that this is something Jay Wright was thinking about, which obviously if he decided to retire, it was something he was thinking about. And it very much sounds like he, he unless reporting is way off, he had made this decision before the season even ended. And they were just trying to sort of figure out when to announce it. So right. clearly this was something, he didn't just wake up one day and decide he wanted to retire. So if he's going in that direction and it's clearly not going to, he doesn't want to be doing this until he said it. A, you know, you can go get your guy. There's no way in the world Kyle Neptune is saying no to that. Mm-hmm. And the other part of this, the bigger part for me is if you're going to, I almost feel like it, and of course, Jay Wright could retire anytime Jay Wright wants to. But to me, coming back next year is almost saying this is a multi-year commitment. Right. Because you are at a very clear changing of the guard, new era, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. This roster has major shortcomings and holes that need to be addressed in the form of Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Sanders, right? You got your extra year with your two Villanova greats, mm-hmm. or at least Gillespie. I mean, you can argue about Sanders, but two excellent college basketball players. You had to at least players now synonymous with Villanova's right. program. Right. So it's not like you're just bringing back but I would have been more shocked if he did it, if he retired before this season, knowing those two guys were coming back. Right. Because you knew, no matter how difficult it may have been at times, there was nothing surprising about that team figuring out and making the final four. Mm-hmm. This is a completely different discussion when you're looking at this roster now. So that part of it for me is if you're going to do it in the near future, this is the perfect time. Because right. you can set it up exactly how you want. And it's not like Kyle Neptune is inheriting a roster that's supposed to win national championship. So if he has some learning to do and some bumps because he has one year of head coaching experience, it's not the end of the world. You're not throwing away your best rosters, right? And then the other part of this is I'm sure also just the, the wear and tear of having to go dig into the transfer portal. And I know 
this is the world of college basketball now, but right, the longer you go into this, the more work you have to do to build your rosters. It's not like this was set up for Jay Wright to have the kind of, right? It's sort of a cyclical thing. Every couple of years, three, four years, they get that team and Jalen Brunson was just so good. He gave them two of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was kind of a cheat code in that sense, but it's a, it's a very cyclical thing. It's not like Villanova is always a top three team in the country, regardless of whether they are preseason. Mm-hmm. You kind of, and especially with a developmental program, right? You build these guys. Like Colin freaking Gillespie was the best right. player on your team last year. Right? right. And then all of a sudden you look up and it's a bunch of juniors and seniors with a sophomore or a freshman. You go, oh, well, that's the next guy. Mm-hmm. And so then they make the final four. Sometimes they win the national championship. And then it kind of starts over again. This was obviously the pinnacle of that cycle. And so that was the biggest thing for me. It's just not wanting to have to go through that again, because it's not like you're coming back with what you need to win a national championship. Couple things. One, I think you're spot on that if he wasn't entirely sold on next season, then there's no point in holding the program back one more year. Because right, right if you're going to retire in the next couple, it's not like, Right. I think there's an argument to the K coaching this year, knowing that Shire was doing all of the recruiting for the year after anyways. And it looked like you were going to have a team capable of winning a national championship. And you go to the final four. Right. Duke will always because of the way they recruit by definition, because they have the talent, regardless of whether it turns out or not. Yeah, sure. But a lot of things can go on seamlessly, even if K, I mean, C247 sports, you know, number one class in the country for 2022. Spoiler alert, it's the Duke Blue Devils, and they're about to have a a new, right, they have a a year one head coach at the helm now. So I think you're spot on there, that if he didn't, if he wasn't 100% in for the next cycle, then he should probably just get out now so that in a weird way, Neptune can have a, pretty much clean slate with mm-hmm. and you know there are very few if any Villanova fans who are expecting to contend for a national championship next year even if Jay Wright comes back right and I'm sure they'll be fine because it's a Villanova culture at this point and it's I'm sure they're gonna be you know a top four Villanova top four Big East team without Jay Wright just because of how well that program is run and what he's turned that program into but I don't think anybody was penciling them in as one of the top three teams in the country next year after Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels leave. The other thing I'll say, and these are kind of, these are, these are kind of connected. One is that Jay Wright doesn't exactly strike me as a guy who likes to do things. He's not a hundred percent committed to. Mm -hmm. And he said things like, you know, he started, you know, he's come out recent, you know, more recently than his retirement, his official retirement, you know, having been been interviewed for stories, saying things like, I started to feel, you know, quote, I started to feel like I didn't have the edge that I've always had, where the edge always came natural to me. And and Jared just sort of strikes me as the kind of guy who once he realizes that, he's gonna he's probably not gonna fight it. And then the other thing is that's plenty of people retire at the age of 60. I think that, (laughs) right. I think what we've, as a result of just the sport in general in 
coaching as a profession in general, whether you look at Belichick or you look at Kay or you look at Roy or you look at, um, you know, Popovich, you look at, there are a lot of all-time greats that are getting close to retirement right now that are like 75 years old. And I think that's played into why this has been so shocking because we look at Jay Wright's, you know, you go to, we've all of a sudden turned 60 into the new 50 in the sense of we go and look and it's like, Oh, it's not that old. Mm-hmm. When in reality, 60 is while, you know, I'm sure Jay Wright is, doesn't feel all that old, you know, just on a day to day, you know, he looks like he's in good shape. Maybe he's not, but that doesn't seem to be what this is about. It doesn't seem to be like there's some underlying medical issues that he's hiding. Um, but lots of people retire at 60 and people who have made so much money in their profession that they can buy whatever they want every single day of the rest of their lives and be just fine. And their kids after them are probably going to be just fine. Like when you look at it at that, like that way, it's like, okay, yeah, that's a dude with all the money in the world who is like kind of fatigued by his job is 60 years old. And he wants to go hang out with his grandkids. Right. Like that. uh, it can be that simple. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we've kind of to no fault of anybody's, but when you look at K and he's pushing 80, it's a different, like there's a, there's a, a certain shock level when it's like, what Jay, Wright? He looks incredible. He's only right. 60 years old. Like, you know, our alma mater just hired a guy who's 55. Right. I mean, so I, I think that that's kind of played into it as well. Yeah. Jay Wright just never struck me. And the other part of this buy wasn't completely, completely borders. Jay Wright never struck me as the guy who wanted to be coaching at 72. <laughs> that just didn't fit with his vibe for me. That I not I didn't I didn't think about it in terms of, well, this could be close to the end. I didn't, I didn't see this coming at all. But I yeah, I didn't think it was going to be much past 65 for the reasons you just said, and it is kind of weird how, right, Bayheim Krzyzewski just kind of skewed this thing where, and, and the other thing too. Bayheim's is a good one too. Not only can Jay Wright, of course, retire very comfortably, Jay Wright can go make more millions of dollars if he wants to chill in on TV, right? That's the other part of this too, is it's not like this. Also is, true. He can go do what he wants. And if he wants to go have some fun, and provide some analysis. Of course, every network in the country is going to be bidding for his services. And paying him a lot of money to yes, do it. Yes, right. Yeah. So, do you have... I have one point I would like to make about his tenure at Villanova. Do you have any other thoughts you want to get in there before that? The only other thing I was going to say is that... And this has more to do with the dynamic that is left because Jay Wright is no longer there. But officially... The Big East is the most interesting conference in the country. <laughs> with the hires that the conference made this year, with how competitive it's always been, of course. But now when you go down the list, you have a ton of really, really good head coaches in that. A ton of proven head coaches at other places in that conference and at the, the places they now coach. But when you go down the list, now you have Ed Cooley, Jaheen Holloway, Thad Mata, Sean Miller, and we haven't even gotten to guys like Greg McDermott, Shaka Smart, um, 
I mean, Ewing is still there at Georgetown, but like when it's Georgetown, I'm sure they're going to be able to find somebody that's at least interesting, right? Um, that was seven. Who else am I missing? St- I like the job Tony Stubblefield is doing. That's Stubblefield. Definitely yep. one. Tough off season so far for Stubblefield. Yeah. Um, but right, I think I think he's a quality college basketball coach. Dan Hurley. Dan Hurley. I didn't say him. Yep. That's that was that was on my list as the original <laughs> points and reasons for um for starting that Xavier, right? Sean Miller. Who am I missing? I've only got nine fingers up. Which two teams am I missing? St. John's, who is the pride of Andre Cabello. Um, but my point being is that it and oh oh duh, Cal Neptune. Oh um, right. yeah. <laughs> but my point being is that until Jay Wright left, it was always going to be Jay Wright's conference. Mm-hmm. And it was always going to be Villanova's conference, right? Even in the year that you like we got to the point that even like when Providence wins the, the regular season title, or even when Xavier and JP Mercuro win the title in the regular season. It's still like, yeah, but this is the, but relax because this is Villanova's conference. And even though you just won the conference, I'm picking Villanova to go farther in the tournament than you. So it's, uh, and maybe that's a good thing for the conference in a weird way because it's left with so many good coaches. It's not like Jay Wright was carrying it. And maybe for a little while he was, but it's not like he's it's being left and there's nobody interesting coaching and there aren't any interesting teams. It might just be now there's a taking for the next, it's, it's kind of a turning a page in the end of an era, I think for the big East as well. And I'm very interested to see where, what happens with the conference in the next five, seven years um, from a, who cements themselves as maybe the best team of, you know, the 2020s who, is there a team that kind of gets momentum in the in the recruiting trail and transfer portal, and they start to sort of turn over good years every couple of years? Um, I'm very interested to see who that might be. Maybe it would just be Villanova because, like, yeah, <laughs> that would, but that's a but it's still nonetheless with some of the along with some of the hirings they've made this this off season, It's a it's one I'm will certainly be paying attention to uh, over the next few years. And now he can't make the rest of the conference look bad anymore. Because I think hmm. that's part of this too, is people who don't follow the Big East closely just see Villanova, you know, three games ahead of second, and four, yeah. 15 and three, right? And just go, eh. yeah. which does a disservice to not so much the past couple of years. This year was better again, but hmm. particularly, you know, three, four, five years ago in the, the team in second is 11 and 17. Yeah, right. There were four or five top 25 teams in that conference. Mm-hmm. And it just never really got the attention it deserved because at the end of the day, Villanova still was the best team more times than not. And sure. yes, they didn't win every regular season, every conference tournament title, but they were still the team you thought of at the end of the day. Now, maybe that changes, but I think a lot of that had to do with Jay Wright and just the, the gravitas that he has built. Of, if you're not paying closely attention, close attention to the Big East, you just know Villanova and Jay Wright. Yep. All right, are you ready for this? Yeah, what are you about to do? I, I do want to make this point because I think this gets slept on a little bit. And I, I've alluded to this before, but so we're right. Everybody talks about okay, Jay Wright inherited a not all that inspiring situation. Yes, Villanova had some history, but there was mm-hmm. 
I mean, he almost went to Rutgers instead. There was work to do, clearly. Mm-hmm. So, in 2008-9, they make the Final Four for the first time. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the Scotty Reynolds team. Right. They go 30-8, and 13-5 and five in conference. Would you like to guess how many – and then this is going – so, excluding the second national title. Mm-hmm. So – this is one, two, three, four, five, six. The seven seasons following, if you take out, so eight years, but take out that national, the first, the second national, sorry, the first national title. Mm-hmm. Would you like to guess how many NCAA tournament games Villanova won in that stretch? Okay, give me the timeline one more time. So this is the 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14. 15 and 17 NCAA tournaments. So the years that they weren't the best team in the country. Basically, yes. Um, I'll go with three. Okay. It's not quite that extreme, but here is the, here are the results. Was it these... six? Is it six? Four or five? It's I didn't actually, I think it's six. I'm gonna go through them year by year. Okay, gotcha. So 2010 tournament beat Robert Morris, lose to St. Mary's. 2011 okay. tournament. Lose to George Mason. And I am reading through all of the results. This is not just where they okay. lost. 2013. Hold on. I'm now in brackets. I need to find them. Where did they go? Nine seed lose to. I am almost positive that was North Carolina State. No, okay. I lied. It was North Carolina. Sorry. They lost to North Carolina in the first round. Okay. 2014. beat Milwaukee, and then lose to UConn. They were a two-seat that year. Okay. 2015. 14. So they've now lost to a national champion, a Final Four. Because they lost to George Mason the year they went to the Final Four, right? Uh, or was that before that? That might have been, I that think that was been too early. I think yeah, that was before. Then, they, did, they did lose to what? So there's a national champion there, UConn. Yes, yes. They lost to that UConn team. 2015. They lose in the second round to NC State as a one seed. That's the one I was thinking about. That was the 32 and two team. 2017, they lose to Wisconsin in the second round. As so they beat Mount St. Mary's in 16 and Lafayette in 15. Mm -hmm. That is, oh, and then 2017. Yeah, okay. So 2017, that was Wisconsin. They did not make the NCAA tournament in 2012. They finished 13 and 19. So that's yeah. one, two, three, four, five. So I think it's six wins in that stretch. Did not make it past the round of 32. Mm-hmm. When What's I talk your point, about, my friend? When I talk about winning is a process, to me, this is the epitome of that. Thank God because, you didn't come in here and try to try oh, to. No. I was about to go full blown. This is ridiculous thing. Absolutely not. Okay. All right. Good. No. This this is my point. Is Jay Wright has reached the what we were just talking about, right? This idea of well, they got Jay Wright. I'm just I'm gonna pick Villanova in the tournament every single time because they're Villanova. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think this is the part that gets left out. Everybody talks about the beginning and of course what they have become. Part of this, and especially because this was you know the high school, middle school years for us. Mm -hmm. As a Philadelphia sports fan, 
I remember all the times I was getting frustrated with Villanova going, why can't they get out of the second round? Why do they keep losing to eight and nine seeds as a mm-hmm. you know, 32 and two or 35 and five, you know, all of these mm-hmm. 33 and three, 32 and four, 36 and four. I mean, that was a national championship team, but it's not like they were knocking on the door, making all these elite eights before. Right. right. And then it just sort of flipped. And of course you did have one more round of 32 exit, but then all of a sudden, it got to the, hey, we bet on Villanova in the tournament. Right. That, is, that is my point here. This is not to slander Jay Wright in any way, shape, or form. This is A, winning in the NCAA tournament is hard. B, this is why you don't put a lot of stock in NCAA tournament results. And I'm going to start using this as part of that when we have that annoying conversation every year because everybody starts drawing conclusions. Mm-hmm. Right? This was very much a thing, is Villanova can't get out of that second game. Right. And all of a sudden, it, right, it's two national championships in three years, and they become arguably the class of college basketball in the last mm-hmm. five or so years, a little bit more than that now. Mm-hmm. That part of this is fascinating. It, is, it doesn't just happen overnight. As good as those Villanova teams were, that's still how difficult it is and how much time it takes to actually learn how to navigate this. And sometimes things just don't, things just don't go your way. Mm-hmm. I just find that fascinating. And unfortunately, the sport is no longer structured in a way that coaches are afforded the opportunity to lose for that long mm-hmm. in the tournament. Because, right, because Jared has never lost really at Villanova from a like, there's never been, I mean, apart from the very beginning, yeah, there hasn't been a ton of like, Man, Jay Wright really needs a good year next year. He's probably going to get fired. Yeah. You know, no, they've they've lost double digit games once since the 20, 2012-13 season. There was right. the 2011-12 was thirteen and nineteen, and that was when Jay Wright kind of said, "I got a little too enamored with going after the high profile recruits that I can now mm. get to come here. Mm. I'm not getting the kind of guys that fit this program. I got to go back to the basics." You went. 20 and 14 the year after that. And then their total number of losses were five, three, five, four, four, 10, seven, seven. Right. Exactly. Um, And it was only one of two losing seasons in his tenure at Villanova. The only other one was 20, 2002, three, when they went 15 and 16. Um, But the way the sport works now, like I would almost argue that schools, that that you're either like you get about four years and we know about your recruiting abilities and your on-court abilities enough to the like you're you're just not going to get in right okay mm. jay is a little different because he was winning a ton of games even if they were a little mm-hmm. disappointing in the tournament up until you know Right. It's kind of the John Calipari. The 15, 16 thing, but I'm not sure. Like we'll never see anybody with a trajectory. And the other thing is that they just had a meteoric rise once they did it. Right. <laughs> and that's the weird thing that it's not like, I mean, like UConn won a national, like Louisville won a national championship in 2013. And it wasn't like, Oh my God, Louisville. Right. Like they just never lose in the tournament. They're like a team. I never want to play. And for, for some reason, Jay Wright's team, that's what Villanova turned into immediately. Mm-hmm. right and and maybe that's just 
to, I mean, right. They backed up their national championship with a 32 and four season and then backed that up with the 36 and four season and another tournament. But I think it's, it's unique in the sense that we went immediately from, it's almost like we were all just waiting to say it, that we all believed it. We were just scared to say it because we didn't really have the evidence to say it yet. And then once it happened, everyone was like, yep, I never want to play Villanova in the tournament. He figured it out. Whatever, whatever happened, happened and it's not going anywhere and he's going to do it. He's, he's, he's going to, he's going to do it. And, and that's exactly what happened. Um, and, and now here we are. And, I think we're, I think we're here. We're even here to the point where I don't, I never want to play Villanova in the tournament, even if oh, it's not there. Not. Oh, yeah. right? right. Um, unless and Kyle that, Neptune, right. Unless Kyle Neptune gives you reason to believe otherwise, right. You absolutely operate from the assumption that this thing is just going to keep rolling because he was there. There's a reason that he was the one who was picked to inherit this behemoth of a task. Mm-hmm. It's because he has experience. This is keeping it in the family because Jay Wright wants Villanova basketball, which is Jay Wright basketball at this point, right? They're mm-hmm. one of the same, but because it works so well, and because Kyle Kyle Neptune is the guy who understands exactly what this looks like when it's running well. Yeah, right. none of that. He has to do something wrong for you to start betting against Villanova, without a doubt. Yep. So shouts to Jay Wright, quite the career. Don't but for think? him for going out on his own terms, I love it. Shall we move on to Kentucky? Yeah, let's do it. So here's the thing with Kentucky. We got the national player of the year coming back. We've got a guy who played zero minutes going to the NBA draft and a lot of stuff in between. Right. Um, Where do you want to start with this? I've got more things that connects to Oscar Sheboy coming back that I'd like to touch on whenever we talk about Oscar. So if that means you'd like to hold on to that till the sort of the back half of this Kentucky conversation, I'm all for that. Um, but with that in mind, where would you like to start? Yeah, let's talk Shade and Sharp first. Okay, can can I can I speak frankly for a second? Yeah. Same I don't space. I don't care how good Shade and Sharp is. If my freaking NBA team ever drafts a guy that didn't play a single second in college, I'm gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna lose my mind, Josh. Like yeah, no, when you say college, you mean sort of a post high school yes level yes okay. when when we see as little right it, 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 from shade and sharp as we have seen like i'm going to lose my mind i'm going to lose it i'm going to lose it because this is and this is by far the most fascinating part of all of this the uh, of the way this all works now is that it's just okay. For, for people to not prove themselves on a competitive level, it's just okay at this point. And that is wild to me. And, and that's not to say that I don't think that the kid who is like six, six and a freak athlete is not going to like have a chance to figure it out at the NBA level, but it is wild to me that we choose that over a guy that I'm watching at, in Memphis right now with the Grizzlies and Desmond Bain, who the only reason he wasn't picked is because his arms are short and he was 23 instead of 18 in the draft. He's, he's unreal. 
He is so good and he belongs on every single NBA floor. And I can list and I can list 11, 18 year olds from this year alone that don't look like they belong in an NBA floor. Yeah. But because they're 18, that's a better decision to make than than Desmond Bain. And all of a sudden, if you redraft the 2020 draft when Desmond Bain came out, Desmond 2020. Yes. I think this yeah, is your yeah, two. This is your two. Yeah. Yes. Then like he would be a top 10 pick at least. Oh, for sure. And it took two years. And if you ask anybody, I mean, like some scout can tell me that there were other reasons, but at the end of the day, you didn't draft him because he was 23. Yeah. And he doesn't look physically all that impressive. There's nothing that wows you about. Right. Because there's never been any NBA players who have been physically unimpressive to, you know, that's <laughs> see, never happened see, before. See Nikola Jokic. <laughs> right. Um, like well, also, that, that, that oh, guy okay. is the most, is the most skilled college NBA player in the world right now. Skilled. Not maybe, oh, yeah, yeah. We well, can talk about Giannis and KD or yeah. anybody else being the best, yeah, but yeah. from a, like he is unreal with the ball in his hands and he yeah. was the 42nd overall pick. And, but it is just, it is a little wild to me how, like, I get it. I understand it. It's not like I'm naive. It's just wild that this is how this works now. And he's going to be a top five pick. It's ridiculous. The interesting, I have thoughts on the Kentucky stuff. I'll get to the, sort of the Kentucky side of this in a minute. The other thing I was thinking about in terms of what you just said, because I would have really made the argument that taking Imani Bates top 10 had Imani Bates been eligible for this year's draft. I mean, or last, sorry, last year's draft. Mm. I would have gone to bat for that to be quite honest and a year later right he's nowhere of course he still can't declare for this draft but right he's nowhere near a top 10 pick. right maybe by the time next year rolls around whatever he ends up deciding to do this coming season mm-hmm. or year whatever dealing the next 12 school. months before yeah. next NBA draft right. before right. that's a good point whatever he ends up doing in this gap between drafts so biding his time until he's eligible maybe maybe it's a completely different story come next year at this time mm-hmm. but that's i felt similar to him is that right he's got the same kind of hype that sharp does now he fell a little bit but it's kind of the same idea right top guy in your class you sort of jump a year and all of a sudden you're five or six not one right. kind of the same thing yeah if you're this is going to be fascinating on the Kentucky side of this, I don't know what John Calipari was supposed to do. I'm going to go to bat for Cal here. Everything that was publicly and privately said was he's going to come, he's going to practice, get acclimated, and he's going to be on the court next year. Then there were the rumblings about, well, is he going to play? Is he ready to play? Will Cal play him? And they ultimately decided not to. It sounds like there was a conversation that was had when the injuries to the guards happened about, do we just throw him out there? Which I would argue is is Cal saying, I think it's in your best interest to not play this year. Knowing full well this could have happened. Because we live in a world where you just can't trust people's word like that, which is infuriating to me because you know how much that matters to me. Yes. And Cal and Cal still said, I'm not doing it. 
which of course is now coming back to bite him because the question will forever be what happens if he plays. But it's, it's, and so then you go into his advisor, Dwayne Washington, and it sounds like there was different conversations with the NBA. It's just a mess. Mm -hmm. But at no point was Cal under the, right? You basically would have, for Cal to have played him from a, this guy has committed to me and I'm going to use him to make sure I don't lose him for nothing. If that's the mindset you're going to take, which is one Cal never would have because that's not who he is. We've been over this time and time again. That's not how he, fundamentally, that's not how this program works. If you're going to take that standpoint, basically what you're saying is, I don't trust anything that is coming from Shaden Sharp's camp. Mm -hmm. Your words mean nothing to me. He -hmm. is here on campus and I'm going to utilize him the way I want to to best serve my own interests, right? Mm -hmm. Because the plan was always, and I, I mean, I believe his mom said this at least once, if not multiple times. Other people were saying the same thing was there are no guarantees, but the plan is, that was kind of the phrase that was always Mm -hmm. used. The plan is for him to come back next season. So the other part of this is, well, let me finish, finish that thought thought first. Right. So that's basically what Cal would have had to say to play him Mm -hmm. is I don't trust you or the people around you. That wasn't going to happen. And then, okay, so the other part of this that I find interesting from Sharp's perspective, and I'm curious what you think on this. If I were him, I would have just, from the beginning, said, okay, we've decided I'm not going to play this season. I'm going to enter my name into the NBA draft Mm -hmm. and maintain my eligibility. I'm going to go through the process. Because either it's going to tell me I should go or it's going to tell me the things that I would need to work on the NBA evaluators want to see before the next draft, right? So you can continue to say, my plan is to come next year and still go through the process. Mm-hmm. But it's and technically, technically that's what he did. Mm-hmm. But nobody in the world thinks he's coming back to Kentucky, right? You could have done this very, the same way that all of these other guys now do it, which I love. And I love that part of this is I'm putting my name in the draft. I'm putting it in the transfer portal. I'm just going to go through all my options and see what's out there. Mm-hmm. Even if you have no real intention of going into the NBA draft. Yet. That's what I would have done is I would have been just transparent. With right. I, I, and technically from a, what was publicly said standpoint, I guess he was, but none of that came to be true. And it's not, there was never a, yeah, I changed my mind or we decided collectively Kentucky and myself that this is the direction we're going. It was Mm -hmm. a, yeah, bye. Thanks. Kind of thing. It's all super, super smelly. Yeah. All of it. But like also everything Calipari does is a little bit smelly. It's like, it's kind of like a pair of socks you've already worn once, you know, like, (laughs) like they're not horrific yet, but like, if you wear them again, it's probably going to get pretty stanky, like, like that kind of smelly, like, but right there, he was stuck between a rock and a hard place between bringing him back and, and, you know, playing him and waiting because in theory he had a whole season to, you know, wait for right. and didn't want to jeopardize that. 
And then on the other side of it, when you're going to be a top six pick, like Cal has literally said over and over again for the last decade that like he said in his, in that 30 for 30 on Cal in Kentucky, he literally said, I will tell players that I'm taking away your scholarship if you try to come back. Mm -hmm. So he's not allowed to be mad here. He's not. And that's it. So that, at least not, at least not from a, you should put the, program before the right. nba draft perspective he could right. be mad if he was lied to that's fine yes and i think but, that's the frustration or the other question is okay what does cal believe about his nba draft prospects right now mm-hmm. does he actually believe because right that's the question does he believe he's making good decisions mm-hmm. i think personally i feel like the frustration comes from the way it was handled more than anything sure. else, that he gets it and will right. and basically his statements that as much we're going to support our players to mm-hmm. you know go to the nba that's what he does so that's the interesting part of this that we don't know the answer to by his own definition by his own definition his job is not to win national championships games his job is to get his recruits from high school to the nba so how does cal feel about where his stock that's a that's an interesting question to me too but you're absolutely right can i read you that this is a real excerpt from an nba mock draft piece okay i'm gonna read this to you Okay. The former number one player in his class in his high school class, Sharp is a smooth shot creator who sh- shoots it easy from three, is effortlessly is effortless getting to his spots off the bounce, can play above the rim explosively, and at least has the tools and size at six six with a seven foot wingspan to eventually evolve into a serviceable defender. All right, here's the kicker. After watching him live at Kentucky practice sessions. Yep. Sharp is also an underrated passer with the offensive talent you see from from NBA All-Stars. I'm going to say this again, Josh. After watching him live at Kentucky practice sessions. Yeah. That's why we're picking him because I've watched him live at a... Are you kidding me? What else are you supposed to do? (laughs) That's my point. I know. I mean, right from in in the author of this article's defense, from an evaluation, you got it. And and for what it's well, here's what I what I saw. And and with in 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 total respect to Jonathan Gavoni and Mike Schmitz, who do they both do a very good job at what they do. Oh, that was Gavoni. They're Schmitz, but they wrote it together, and the excerpts were you know were alternating between the two. This happened to be Schmitz. So, so this has nothing to do with Mike. This <laughs> right, is, right. this has, this has everything to do with, and, and I'm sure he's been told by front office people that he's not getting past, you know, the top six or seven picks. And so he's got to put him somewhere in there based on what he's, because he's yeah. right. He's trying to be accurate, just like bracketologists, you know, mock draft guys are trying to be as accurate as possible. Right. So it's not that I, it's not that I'm saying that Schmitz is wrong yeah. or that he's dumb right, for saying right, this right. because like, but but that's what You're, I'm saying is that Schmitz, a guy who is that. At, like that is the only place he's right. seen him play. Right. Yeah. And you're about to tell me that I'm gonna spend the sixth pick in the draft on that guy after guys like Johnny Davis, AJ Griffin, Jalen. These are all the guys that are after them on their mock draft. Johnny uh, Johnny Davis, AJ Griffin, Jalen Duran, Benedict Mathurin, uh, Ochag Baji. I mean, then we get to a point where, I mean, of course, you're probably going to take him over, you know, 
Blake Wesley from Notre Dame at 22, right? But my point, all of this, my point being is that that is just, it is wild that that's okay. And that that's just kind of how we function now, that it's so much off potential. And, and And I suppose we've gotten it right enough Right, we've gotten have, to the point where we? we'll have to have we'll have to have a deeper conversation about this. Well, I'll have draft. to look. I'll have to look. But like, and they and, and are... at the end of their excerpt, he points at guys like Anthony Edwards, who played at, who might as well have not have played at Georgia because I mean, like, he was good, but like Georgia sucked, and, and like, he was not. He one looked of those... and he looked disinterested pretty much the entire season. So like. And he was not one of those numbers. He was more in the Anthony Bennett. Now that's different right. than he... Anthony Edwards, but right the. I don't know who the best player in this draft is. You gotta take somebody. Right. He was not a, a no-brainer. He, he yeah. was certainly in the nobody wants to trade up for the number one pick because of how much it costs to buy a number one pick yeah. and for a reward that you're not sure is is all that exciting. But anyways, that's the only other thing. They, they, that's all I got on shit and chart. But that yeah. is well, that is wild to me. We need to. We need to All have because that con- he's 18. We need to have that conversation. Our goal is to get a draft person on before. We need to have mm-hmm. that conversation. Yeah. Interesting thing here. There's only like now everybody, there are two guys inside the top five who have already turned 20. And there are three guys inside the top seven who have already turned 20. So that's interesting that it's a slight ability. But then again, like Chet is already almost 20 years old. He's just old for his for his you know graduation year anyways the other thing that's going on at kentucky is that oscar shiway the most dominant player in college basketball last year just an absolute weapon on the court is on his way back for another year at kentucky that's following up a year in which he averaged 17.4 points 15.1 rebounds almost two blocks almost two steals Shot sixty point six percent from the from the field, swept uh, the natty poise, and swept the natty poise. He is on his way back to college, and he is not alone on the list of really talented big men to come back to college basketball this season. Um, what does this like, like say? At this point, say based on what Kentucky had coming into you know had coming back had coming in from transfers had coming in from their recruiting class i want you to try and quantify what oscar shibway coming back means for kentucky ceiling next season to me it makes him a national a bona fide national title contender no matter how this plays out now, they probably would have been anyway, assuming if you're factoring in Sharp. Trivia time. Kentucky is the what-ranked recruiting class in the 2022 class so far? 18th. Am I way too low? No, you're not low enough. 24? That's correct. 24. Now yeah. they they signed the number seven and number eight players in the class, but that's it because in in two four seven does puts way too much stock into the number of commits mm-hmm. you have. Yeah. Um. 
no granted but like with all due respect to penn state penn state has the number 23 ranked recruiting <laughs> class in the country because they have signed four three stars mm-hmm. so at some point there's just a, a and there are plenty of people who have this issue with 247 sports but anyways um i think we're going to get to a point where looking at the very top of recruiting class rankings isn't as foolproof as you thought maybe it was once upon a time from looking at who's got the best newcomers, because I kind of think, right. You, you sign two guys and then you get after it in the transfer portal with all the other proven college basketball players. Right. Yeah. And, and I know that's, you know, taken into, into account a little bit, but right. It's not, you know, we're signing four or five stars and we're going to start four guys who have never played college basketball before. It's like, we're going to sign two, two, five stars you know, guys in the Ty Ty Washington realm, but then we've also guys got, got guys like Kellen Grady and Oscar Shibway and those kind of guys to sort of round out the newcomer and quote unquote recruiting class. But, um, but anyway, I, I certainly agree with you there in terms of what this means for Kentucky. Um, because I still think we're in a spot in college basketball where having a dominant interior player does turn you into a national title contender, which is interesting because when we get into this conversation about big men coming back in general, it's the exact opposite reason why big men aren't entering the draft because there just aren't a ton of dominant big men who are obviously going to translate into, into similar roles or even opportunities to have similar roles at the next level. And especially when you know you've got the guard production to match with it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm really sold on for what I was sold on for Kentucky last year and what I'm sold on for Kentucky this year with Sheboy coming back. I love Sabir Wheeler. You know that. I've been mm-hmm. open about that. Mm-hmm. Those two in and of themselves with the other girls however this ends up playing out, those two with the talent they're going to have around them. Right. The, the only question I have in terms of where does Kentucky rank on a final preseason list is how do you, you, you had the scholarship reserved for Sharp. The plan was Sharp. Mm-hmm. What ends up happening now that you have to readjust that mm-hmm. in this, right? You're not, your top options in the transfer portal, most of them are gone. You don't need Tyrese Hunter. Right. He's, he's probably your top uncommitted guy at this point, but all the things that make him, most of the things that make him good also, he's not the same player as Sevilla Wheeler. He's much, much better defensively. So in theory, you could play him together, but that's not exactly right. He's not replacing Shane Chung. Right. So how does this all end up playing out? But I, yeah, they're absolutely right up there in terms of my title favorites because of, of Shibway coming back. The other thing too, do you know who the last national player of the year to come back was? I'm guessing it's Luca. No, or was he not the national player of the year that year before he came back? I guess he wasn't. No, he was second, I believe. Okay. Um, no, it's way before that. Is it Hansborough? Yeah. Mm. That's the other. Th- that's the other point I was going to make. Is look, it's the 2000 right. It's 2009 Tyler Hansborough. Mm-hmm. Those dudes. Now, I don't think this is going to be what ends up happening, but all I'm saying is those dudes were significantly better than every other team in the country. 
Right. Yeah. And Shibuya is, he doesn't score quite as much because he doesn't need to. But he's, I mean, he's on that level and mm. is obviously a better rebounder and does some things that Hansbro doesn't. They're, they're not exactly the same player, but mm. that's what we're talking about here. Right. That is a terrifying thought if I'm the rest of the country. Yeah. That's, that's so funny to think because it's almost like, right, you have these guys coming back and it's, it's like Tyler Hansborough coming back like was like a massive deal. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not sure, like, I don't think Oscar Sheboy coming back is, I don't think people are responding in the same manner. Maybe it's no. because Kentucky lost in the first round. Maybe it's because... Maybe it has more to do with Shaden Sharp just being, you know, the guy who's eaten up a lot of the publicity around the Kentucky program. Maybe it's just because we're not all that blown off our feet by any big men anymore. Like regardless, unless the, you know, they have the skills of Kevin Durant or Giannis or, or, you know, or Giannis. So maybe it's, you know, some of those things, but. And and the NBA was in a place that, they had a spot for Tyler Hansbro when Hansbro came back. Right. right. It's not like he fell to the second round, even when he did come out. Right. This is a, uh, Kofi Coburn is going to be the, the next sort of measuring stick is the one significant big who didn't come back mm-hmm. of how does this end up going? Because right. Everybody else said, nah. I'll go be a of, dominant force in college basketball another year. Right. And I think part of it, right. You're looking at Sheboy and Baycott in particular as you've pointed out before, right? It's not going to get much better than this. And you're on legit national title contenders. Right. For Hunter Dickinson, to me, I mean, of course, there's plenty of talent surrounding him too. But uh, the other part of it is I didn't – there was part of me that thought year two, if he can just take a, another step, there's a place for him in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't really take that step. And my goodness, some of that pick and roll defense was tough to watch. Mm-hmm. So I, that wouldn't surprise me either. Is because I still feel like he has a chance to show enough that he doesn't get lumped in with the Baycots and the Sheboys and the Coburns. Mm-hmm. He just hasn't shown it yet. So can he, can he get better defensively, especially you know, covering space or from when you get, when you step outside of the paint, because that's key in the NBA, of course, with mm-hmm. all the, the pick and rolls and switching. Mm-hmm. And can you get that jump shot going a little bit more? So that to me was very much a, I just didn't give the NBA what the NBA needed to see for me. So I'm going to give it another shot and have some more fun and make some money at Michigan. Kind of. mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I do think it, I will continue to be fascinated and, and also just, and this is something that's going to continue to sort of evolve over the next few years, but I would love to, but just pay attention to it. Does this just become a thing for big men in general that we almost get back to a point where we're a little surprised because right. All of those guys are going to make some cash next year while playing at North Carolina. I mean, Nigel Pack for crying out loud, <laughs> just got paid four hundred grand a year to go yeah. to Miami. Right. 
Yeah, North Carolina's good. Those good guys for Nigel Pack, by the way. Good yeah. for Nigel Pack. This yeah. is not a. This is not a. This is unfair kind of thing because no, I mean, recruiting has never been on a level playing field, and guys getting to getting paid is something that having the ability to make some money is a thing that should be a thing. Um, but oh, it absolutely not, changes the yeah, it changes the con the the discussion. But absolutely. especially for guys that are really, really, really good college basketball players. And you're not entirely sold on their translation into the NBA. Are we just going to get a lot of this as we continue into the age of name, image, and likeness? Because quite frankly, like, yeah, you probably, you would love to go to the NBA and get closer to signing that second contract, which is what everybody's like pushing for right you go to the draft when you do not so that you can sign your rookie deal but so that you can sign your second deal faster right um and maybe we'll just get to a point where it's like yeah i mean if i don't feel like like I, at the end of the day what's the likelihood that i'm going to actually sign that that lucrative second contract and and not that it has to be like a max contract, but right, going from your you know making a million or two a year to making right. ten million a year, right? The jump Jalen Brunson's about to make, <laughs> right? Um, and that guy's going to get overpaid. With all due respect to Jalen Brunson, that guy's going to get overpaid, like everybody else who has a off a postseason like that. Um, but the point being that do we just get to a point where we are seeing guys like this? instead of just getting out when their draft stock is as high as it possibly can be hanging around because it's fun to be the best player on the court almost every night. And if I'm going to make 500 grand that year anyways, then that's, that's a lot of freaking money and we can, we can work with that right while we're still in college and then maybe just have another year to figure some things out based on what they want me to be able to do at the NBA level. Yeah, it absolutely changes the, the calculus in a big way. And I think that was something that maybe was not as big of a part of the NIL conversation as it should have been. Mm-hmm. Of what, the, the, how much does this actually sway players? Because, and we can, we can go down the short another time, but not only from an NBA perspective, but from a transfer portal perspective too, of I want to be at a place, see Pac, comma, Nigel, where I can maximize my NIL possibilities. There is a reason he ended up at the place that was ready to go immediately when this thing got rolled out. Nobody was hopping on this faster than Miami. It is not a coincidence. No judgment. Happy for him, like you said. But that is, and it's part of the Tyrese Hunter calculus too of, okay, I'm a big deal now. I want to be at a place where I am paid like I'm a big deal. Right. That's going to pay me like I'm a big deal. Right. Sure. And how do those programs who don't have the sort of national brands, as good as their basketball brand might be, mm-hmm. how are they going to handle that moving forward? Is this just a, are they going to sort of become mid majors almost where, well, you know, he was really good there, but. Ultimately, he just got too big for, you know, he, he became too big of a fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. Or is this kind of a thing that's going to sort itself out moving forward? Who knows? We'll see. Anything else you want to touch on? 
Kendrick Davis to Memphis? Mm, I guess we should talk about that. Very interested by how this roster is going to turn out. I'm more interested in why so many people are deciding it's a good idea to go to Memphis when they might not get to play in the NCAA tournament next year. Like that well, just kind of that just kind of sounds like something I wouldn't be all that excited about rolling the dice on. That's if, all. If if you're if you're betting on the experience, though, this is a that it's not a complete 180, but this is right. This is not going to be a team loaded with a bunch of five star freshmen. Mm-hmm. This is going to be, however it ends up happening, they're still trying to get some more guys in there and sort of it's a step-by-step process of, okay, we got, we got the big one now. Can we go land a couple other guys who want to play with him? But this is that starting lineup is going to be guys who have played a lot of college basketball, whether in Memphis or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to make an argument in defense of Penny at this point, which I know you don't, probably particularly care to do but to me it would be it's just difficult coaching 18 year olds who have never played college basketball before Mm. it's right it's not like you go other places and every once in a while you have one that's perfect like a Jalen sucks Mm -hmm. but even Paulo this year there are times I'm and I mean do John Shire said this he's unstoppable when he's going downhill what why are you not just attacking man what are you doing Mm -hmm. you know it's just part of that it, it happens, and of course, there are other five stars. It just doesn't doesn't really work out for them, and they don't have the kind of years they're supposed to. So, this is if Penny can't make it work with this team, this is kind of the last thing. If I'm defending him, that well, we haven't seen him work with a team with this much experience and a truly elite college player who has proven himself. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. So. We'll see. It's it's fascinating to say the least. And I just I just don't really understand. Like like what in the world have we seen from Penny in the last twenty four months that suggests that you going to Memphis is your best play or chance to win a national championship, regardless of how talented the roster is? No, see, I don't think that's. I would say and, and 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 which other than Jalen Duran, not a single player has gone there and upped his draft stock, and not a single one. Correct. J- and, and James Wiseman is a bust. A bust. Injuries have had a lot to do with that. It has not gone well. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean okay. Greg Oden's bust had a lot to do with injuries sure. too. It's a bust That's nonetheless. Fair. Sure. My point is, maybe you spent uh, if, another you, the the Warriors spent another a number two draft pick on a guy that literally isn't helping them. It, at all right my, when, my i mean point. if you pick anybody other than that they're probably the, the clear favorites to win the, the finals right now because yeah, my, they have a guy for contributing my my counter is he could be healthy next year and that conversation could change but i don't think that's going to be the case that's because a, the time he has yeah. spent on the floor also doesn't suggest he's ready for to be an NBA sure. player either sure it's certainly trending in that direction i'm just not Willing to go all the way, but yes, you're. And Amani Bates is transferring after being for five years the like golden child mm-hmm. of the next NBA superstar. Yeah. Now the one thing Kendrick Davis is that those guys aren't, and I heard him talk about this. He's a guard, right? He is. He is the kind of player that, in theory, should benefit from having a 
guy with the pedigree of Penny coaching him more than anybody else. In theory. In theory. I also yes. don't think pedigree and coaching belong in the same sentence when you're talking sure, about Sure, 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 sure. But from a, from a, right, it's the same reason Kyrie wanted to work with Steve Nash. Of, a, of sort of speaking that same language in terms of uh, my experiences on the court are the same ones you're having from a way we see the game responsibility standpoint. That, that's right. Penny can't put himself in James Wiseman's shoes. Mm-hmm. Penny can absolutely put himself in Kendrick Davis's shoes. That's all I'm saying. Whether it works or not. But if, if you're Kendrick Davis and you're kind of borderline NBA, or know you're going to get a shot, but maybe quite aren't at the point where you want to pass up the NIML money. Mm-hmm. There is a, an argument to be made that, hey, I'm going to go play for a point guard. Mm-hmm. In, in, you know, an all-time great point guard kind of thing. Now, has that has that all-time great point guard proven his ability to develop NBA players and help guys, like you said, improve their draft stock? No. So we'll see how it goes. But that was part of, and it also certainly helps when the aforementioned Desmond Bain and John Morant are part of your recruiting pitch. So sure, sure. Kendrick Davis is all in on Memphis, but it, it but it kind of it it kind of even good that even kind of goes to this this thing that Memphis is quickly becoming, which is really, really loud and nothing all that impressive is happening on the floor. Oh, sure. Great. Fantastic that Desmond Bain and John Morant are there. Unbelievable. Fantastic. Way to go, Penny. How about you win meaningful basketball games ever? Just saying. Like the fact that you needed like a good stretch at the end of this season to make the tournament is like – in Memphis, we're all excited about what that means for next year. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, that's embarrassing. As far as I'm concerned, I'm... you should never lose enough games in the AAC to have that be a scare, especially with where they started this season, which was as a top 25 team. Right. And and very rarely does it actually translate that easily. Right. As we discussed at the beginning, we're kind of bringing it full circle. There you go. Do you have anything else quickly? No. Cool. We got some fun stuff coming up that we're working Let's get real excited about Memphis. Sick. I'll get excited about all the other teams in the country. Please. Please subscribe to the JSPJ's podcast, Snap Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at JSPJ's Pod. We'll be back very soon to to talk into your ears more. But uh, thank you so much for listening to this edition of the JSPJ's Podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We will see you later.